Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're the hosts of Popcorn Martini Soup, a movie podcast. We always get together over food to chat about movies, so we decided to grab some mics and invite you in on the conversation. Whether we're talking about the popcorn movies, the big blockbusters and franchises, or the foreign or artsy martini-style movies that your film school friend tried to convince you would be a good time. Or the soup movies, the ultimate in comfort and nostalgia for when you need a friend or a warm hug. We cover it all, and we'd love for you to join us on the journey. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. I know we said we were going to be covering La Llorona on this episode, but that was before we knew the Great British Bake Off was going to be doing a Mexican week. And we felt that it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. Uh, we knew that this show was going to handle Latin American Heritage Month with the utmost sensitivity and cultural respect. And we figured instead of doing the movie, it would be best to take a look at this show and everything that... Do you, do you guys hear that? That's weird. It's It kind of sounds like a woman crying. Let me... Huh. There's there's a woman crying outside. Um she seems really upset. I think um you know I it's probably best if I go check up on her. Uh tell you you guys sit tight. I'll be right back. I'm sure it's nothing. See you in a minute. This is Relatinos. Hola y bienvenidos a Real Latinos. My name is Ismael. This is Ron. ¿Qué tal? This is Guti. ¿Qué pasó? ¿Qué pasó, mi gente? And we are here to discuss Latin American movies. Uh, so, Ron, this is your pick, so we'll start off with you. What you been up to this week? Not a lot. The only thing, uh, my, uh, my best friend's kid just turned a year old, so we went down and uh, celebrated. <gasps> oh, nice. Yeah, so, so our, our, our youngest listener. Um, but, uh, yeah, the only thing that I had time to, to watch really was the new Pinocchio, not Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is coming out in December, but, uh, the new Pinocchio from Disney with, uh, Tom Hanks directed by Robert Zemeckis. You know, um, it's there. Uh, no, I don't want to like, I don't want to talk to you. There's a lot of it negative talk about it. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it's. Like I put in in my letterbox review that I'm th- about thirty years older than the target demographic. Like it's it's a <laughs> lot of bright colors and silly humor and stuff. And if um if I were under the age of ten, I would probably be like super into it. And yeah. I mean, I kind of try and keep that in mind when I watch this stuff. Like I know you know we we'll, we have uh, a lot of film bro f- you know friends and stuff. I mean, like you know we can be film bros at times ourselves. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, I don't want to talk too much crap on it, but because it's 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 a kids movie, and um, yeah. you know there is there's there's some entertaining stuff in it. Uh, the the CG for Honest John the Fox is fantastic, um, and Keegan Michael Key plays that character. So uh, oh, yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, 
some low points are i actually like the animation the pinocchio animation i thought they did a good job of it. i know like you know i mean it is a little uncanny valley but it's supposed to be because he's a, a marionette um mm-hmm. the only thing that really didn't sell me was the fact that like when he interacts with tom hanks or other live action characters they didn't really do a great job of like like there are scenes where like tom oh. hanks and pinocchio will like hold hands and like you can totally see it's like somebody just like you know it, it's kind of like when you um like you have a photograph and you like just draw a picture of like a cartoon hand on top of it. So that sort of thing. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Easter eggs that I can't decide whether they're cool or if they're trying too hard. But um, at the same time, I'm kind of thinking back to like when I was a kid going to see movies like Aladdin and the Lion King with my parents. And like, there are a lot of like pop culture references in those that kids weren't really supposed to get. So I kind of think it's the, it's in the same vein. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's terrible, but I also like probably am not going to remember anything about it within a week. So, you know, do with that what you will. But if you have little kids, they'll they'll probably like it. So and I can't wait for Guillermo del Toro's take in December. Yeah, I was about to say (laughs) not to compare the two, but I'm going to get totally Pinocchio'd out. I know that there was like like an Italian one that came out last year. There's this one that's yeah. coming out. There's yeah. Which same Lentino. thing. I saw I saw that the Italian one last year, the year before whenever it was and yeah, I can barely remember anything about it. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. It's one of those that it's, you know, it's been in the public domain for so long that everybody does it all the time because it's easy. Um, oh, speaking but, of public uh, domain, aren't they like making a Winnie the Pooh? Yeah, like, I was just movie? about to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I, I finally broke down and watched the trailer, and oh, yeah, it, um, <laughs> oh, it my looks Lord. how you would expect it to look. And I'm probably going to end mean... up watching it. Yeah, yeah, Bat and Spider. Yeah. Oh. No, oh, I think that's. I think that bar is even too low for Bat and Spider. I think. <laughs> I think I'm going in on my own with this. One. <laughs> Oh my god, you are a brave soldier, Ron. We need people like you. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh what about you, Guti? What you what you been up to this week? Oh man. Um so not not a whole lot on the movie front, um, other than uh the movie that we're about to cover. But I did catch up on a couple T V shows, so I watched the new episode of Rings of Power. Uh I mm. think you know, I started having a little bit some action in there so uh, i'm enjoying it a little bit more um not that i didn't enjoy the first two episodes but you know i was waiting for you know i was waiting for the the good stuff the meats right um and so we got a little bit of that and then i kind of feel like i know how the structure of the show is gonna go if you remember kind of my concerns in the last uh, uh you know the last time i talked about it um i think it was during amor Pedos. Um, I was a little concerned that they had like too many characters in there and I don't really know where they're going with it or, well, I knew where they're, well, I kind of knew where they were going with it, but I just didn't know, you know, how are you going to fit all these characters and how am I going to basically resonate with all of them? But I think the structure of this episode kind of puts those worries at ease a little bit, but we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see, uh, how this evolves. There's already some theories that I saw, so I'm, I'm excited for what's to come. And then, of course, I also watched the uh, House of Dragon, you know, mm. gotta, you know, everyone's going to be comparing them both. So, you're going to yeah. watch both, I guess, uh, even though I don't know if the comparison is, you know, accurate because it's two different stories trying to do two different things. Mm. But, but uh, like yeah, both, I like, uh, super high franchises, you know, like one is Game of Thrones and one's Lord of the Rings. Mm. And they're both fantasy I mean, techni- medieval times. 
So I mean, true. Yeah, I mean, fantasy is basically right. the only thing that they have in common. That's true. Really. Yeah, they're, to- yeah, they're completely like the- different genre. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they- Ab- absolutely. Especially if you watch uh, the latest episode of House of Dragon mm-hmm. and compare it to the last episode of Rings of Power. Yeah, you can definitely tell the difference. But I will also say. Uh, before I get chastised by Tolkien scholars, uh, <laughs> Tolkien came before House of Dragon, yeah. and George R. R. Martin was influenced by that. Mm-hmm. So you know you got to give the nod to Lord of the Rings there, as far as influence and, and historical state power. Uh, you know, I remember Martin specifically saying like one of the things that inspired him to do Game of Thrones was because like when Return of the King ends, like that's when he got interested because he wanted to know like what Aragorn's policies were and, and stuff like that, and whether or not he was a good ruler. Like he wanted to know the politics of it. And that's a big part of what inspired, you know, a lot of the stuff that he did in uh, the Song of Ice and Fire books. Absolutely. So, yeah. So we got to give credit where credit's due. And then other than that, I just watched some football, you know, NFL is back. So I got to watch my, I'm a huge Saints fan. So I got to really watch the game. And uh, yeah, I'm a huge Saints fan. Well, because my parents immigrated to New Orleans, that was the first city oh, that they immigrated um, okay, okay. to. Coming from I was going to say, you're repping so. a Giants cap right now. Yeah, but you're, I was about, uh, San Francisco I, I Giants, know, not New York Giants. But uh, right, right. Yeah, so, so I figured I was about to say, Bay like, how fan. Catholic are you? You have to go through the Saints. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so, like, as a kind of a homage to my, where my parents came from in their journey, uh, I'm a Saints and a Pelicans fan. So, oh, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, so I was, you know, covering. Um, and watching, you know, covering all the tweets that were coming in from my favorite reporters and then watching the game simultaneously. And I was scared for the first three quarters, but luckily in the fourth quarter we came out and got the victory. So they got us in the a, first half. It's been a good weekend for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's pretty much it. What about you, Ismail? Uh, well, actually kind of exactly like both of you. Not many movies that I've watched since the last time we talked. I have, though, watched, uh, started watching The Crown. So, you know, R.I.P. Quinn Lizzie, you know, she she had her time, 70 years. I was actually at the uh, Jubilee in London. Mm-hmm. It was oh, wild. Really? Was, yeah, it was insane. There was a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people just hyped for the royalty, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I was in Europe at the time, and I was like, if I don't go now, like, I'm just going to kick myself in the butt because, like, this literally happens probably once in a lifetime, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just going to I'm gonna go check this out. And so I uh, went to the Platinum Jubilee uh back then um but yeah r.i.p queen lizzie uh you know monarchies did, <laughs> uh they got their own baggage uh but i did watch the crown uh i started watching the crown and it, it is a really good show i mean i know everyone knows that it's a good show i know i'm late to the to the bus train <laughs> I'm, I'm late to this train to the hype train but um it's pretty good it's uh really really good juicy details behind the scenes of the royals i think it's uh i think it's so interesting and um you know, I can't wait until I get to season four. I know that uh, uh, Princess Diana was there uh, in that season, and um, they're going to go deeper into that in the new season that's coming up for season five. Um, yeah, so shout out Jackie for showing me the crown. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I don't know what else to say. It's a really good show. Like, it's, <laughs> but I, I feel like everyone already knows this. So um, I don't really have anything else to say other than go watch the crown. It's uh, really cool. Um, but other than that, no movies, just, uh, our feature presentation speaking of our feature presentation it is la llorona 2019 it is not the curse of la llorona it is not (laughs) the u.s produced one we are watching la llorona 2019 directed by jairo bustamante um produced in guatemala so this movie is starring 
eh, María Mercedes Coroy, Sabrina de la Oz, Margarita Kenefic, eh, Julio Díaz. I mispronounced any of the names. I'm very, very sorry. Um, but uh, let's get into some of the background behind this movie. So, Ruthie, take it away. So I thought it would probably be best to start with some of the historical context around the actual folklore of La Llorona. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, La Llorona uh, in English translates to the weeping woman or the wailer. Uh, and it's a Latin American folklore legend who is said to be a wandering spirit of a weeping mother who out of desperation drowned her children. Uh, the La, La Llorona is most commonly associated with the colonial era and the dynamic between the Spanish conquistadores and indigenous women. The earliest documentation of La Llorona is traced back to 1550 in Mexico City. However, there are theories that her story is connected to specific Aztec mythological creation stories. Further research has found common elements and resemblances of La Llorona to German folktales dating back to 1486 and even the ancient Greek tale of the demigoddess Lemia. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> the legend has a wide variety of details and versions and is traditionally told throughout southwestern U.S., Central America, and northern South America. It's most usually it's mostly used to scare children to not wander off in the dark. Mm -hmm. However, since this film is based in Guatemala, I figured it'd be worth telling the local legend from there. So the story goes that in Guatemala City lived a woman who had an affair with a lover. She became pregnant, gave birth to a child named Juan de la Cruz, who she drowned so her husband wouldn't know. The woman was then condemned in the afterlife to search for her missing and dead son in every place where there is a pool of water. And like the name goes, she cries out for her son, La Llorona. One peculiar detail of the legend from Guatemala is when a person hears the, car, the cry from afar, it means that the ghost is nearby. But if the cry is heard nearby, it means that the ghost is afar. Someone unlucky enough to face the specter is won over to the afterlife, never to be seen again. So this differs from the traditional stories as usually it's two children, as we see in the movie, and she drowns them out of rage of seeing her husband with another woman, and that's why she drowns them, but regrets immediately um, the decision, as hence stuck between the real world and the afterlife searching for them. Recurring themes in each of the variations of the story include a white dress, nocturnal wailing, and water. While the film is based around this legend, it uses the legend to, uh, to talk about Guatemala's violent past, which we'll get into more here. Guatemalans will see resemblances here also of Enrique Monteverde to Efrain Rios Mont, the late Guatemalan dictator responsible for systematic killing of 1,800 indigenous people unjustly suspected of consorting with the communist insurgency of the time. General Rios Mont seized power during a 1982 coup d'etat in the midst of a bloody civil war in the country between the military regime and Marxist rebels. His 17 months in office were considered some of the, some of the most ruthless of the war, with entire towns of indigenous, indigenous Mayans, the Ijel Maya, who were accused of harboring insurgents known as uh, El Ejército Guerrero de los Pobres, and were, the, those towns were completely wiped out. Beginning in July 1982, the army descended on the Ijil region, indiscriminately burning houses, murdering men, women, and children, destroying fields, and killing livestock. Refugees who fled into the mountains were bombed and strafed by helicopters and planes. In the end, between 70 and 90% of the Ijil vi villages were destroyed. Rios Montt and his other commander at the time, Rodrigo Sanchez, are specifically were specifically charged with 15 massacres in which 1,171 Ijils were killed 
and 29,000 Ehels forcibly displaced. There was also rape and torture charges. General Rios Montt was ousted as leader by his own defense minister in August 1983, who declared an amnesty for the guerrilleros. He avoided prosecution by entering the country's Congress, which offered parliamentary immunity. After his congressional immunity ended, ended with his congressional title, he was eventually brought to trial, which is the trial that we see in the film. Like the film, he was found guilty of charges of genocide and crimes against humanity in a national court in 2013. A judge sentenced him to 80 years, but that ruling was later thrown out by the country's high court. Legal battles over whether he was fit to stand for retrial endured throughout, uh, throughout 2015. His trial eventually resumed in October 2017, behind closed doors and in special conditions because of his deteriorating mental health, which we kind of also see in the film. He died in 2018 of a heart attack, so justice was never truly served. Oh, well, thank you for that uh, historical context with the... Uh, uh, Ron, why don't you give us a quick synopsis about this movie? Enrique Monteverde is a former Guatemalan president on trial for orchestrating the Mayan genocide in the early 80s. Now elderly and sick, Monteverde maintains his innocence and wants for himself and his family to be left alone. His daughter Natalia is a doctor troubled by the horrific testimony of several indigenous women and haunted by the disappearance of her husband. Natalia's daughter Sarah is an innocent young girl that simply wants to go to school and have someone to play with. Monteverde's wife Carmen is a privileged racist woman that believes all the accusations against her husband are a political conspiracy. Monteverde is convicted of genocide by the judge, but the higher court overturns the ruling for lack of physical evidence. The public is openly disgusted with the High Court's ruling and protests round the clock at the Monteverde residence, forcing Natalia and Sarah to live there indefinitely. One night, Enrique is woken up by the sound of a woman crying. Believing someone has broken into the house, he roams the halls with a gun and narrowly misses shooting Carmen in the head. After the incident, nearly all of the indigenous staff quit, leaving head housekeeper Valeriana to find help from her village. A young woman named Alma arrives to help, most prominently spending time with Sarah and teaching her how to hold her breath underwater for long periods of time. Sarah gets to know Alma and learns that Alma, though very young, had two children, but they are both dead. Strange things begin to happen at the house, such as faucets turning on by themselves, bathrooms overflowing, frogs showing up in random places, and Carmen having nightmares of being the mother of two young children hiding from an unseen aggressor. Natalia cares for Enrique's health, assuming that he is in the early stages of Alzheimer's, but the sound of a woman crying at night continues to plague him, and his behavior becomes increasingly erratic. Fearful that the crying woman is in the pool, Enrique fires his pistol into the water. Sarah, who is practicing holding her breath in the pool, is shot in the arm and wounded. The family wrestles the gun away from Enrique and tends to Sarah's wound. Valeriana suspects that all of the strange happenings are the result of dark magic, and she leads the family in a Mayan ceremony to help cast out any evil that might be there. Surrounded by the spirits of the disappeared, Carmen again has visions, this time of soldiers separating her from her young children. In her vision, she is confronted by a younger Enrique, who has her children drowned before executing her. Carmen sees that she has been reliving Alma's actual experience and, in a rage, strangles the younger Enrique. She comes out of her trance to find that she has strangled Enrique in real life as well, with Natalia, Sarah, and Valeriana looking on terrified. Alma and the other spirits are nowhere to be found. At Enrique's funeral, one of his former generals excuses himself from the service to use the restroom. While there, the toilets begin to flood and he hears the sound of a crying woman, signaling that he will be the next victim of La Llorona's vengeance. 
Ay, Dios mío. I mean, this, this movie. Um, wow. La Llorona. Jairo Bustamante. What a director. Uh, speaking of, uh, what's your uh, background with this director, Ron? Uh, none. I, to be perfectly honest, I had never heard of him or this film until you recommended it to me a couple of months back. So... <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as you did, I was like, oh, like, I've got to check this out. And then we decided to start a podcast. And so. now we're here. <laughs> uh, Guti, how about you? Uh, ditto. I haven't seen any of his other films, nor knew of this film uh, before we did this podcast. So, Yeah. Uh, there we go. <laughs> uh, for me, I have watched all of Jairo Bustamante's movies. Um, he's basically got three movies, uh, three uh, three feature films. Uh, it's this one, La Irona. It's also uh, Josas Ishkanul, and he's got a uh, Temblores. And this trilogy of movies that he has is just absolutely. I mean, I mean, we're already in the spoiler section. I think I think they're amazing. I think he, this this director, he's just he's just incredibly incredibly talented. Like, um, uh, so this movie, La Irona, is part of like a trilogy that he had. Like I think it's called like the trilogy the the trilogia de de los pecados, uh, which is the trilogy of sins, uh, meaning like the different type of quote unquote sin that you could be uh, in Guatemala, and so one of the sins that you could be is like if you're indigenous, if you're indigenous, that's like almost like a de facto sin, um, eh, and then Iscanul is about being a sin of being a woman, and then uh, eh, Temblores is a sin of uh, being homosexual. And he just explores like these three different like super taboo subjects for Guatemala um, and just puts like he's I don't know. I think I think he's the most recognized Guatemalan director that I know of, at least. And he is just putting it all out there and starting off with this La Llorona. He I mean, he's incredible. I think he's incredible. Um, so, yeah, that's my background with Jairo uh, Bustamante. Uh, but Ron, since you you picked this movie, let's let's hear from you first. Uh, what you got to say about the movie La Llorona. The first thing that I wanted to mention was uh, coming into this movie, I with you know I know um, the folklore around La Llorona, but uh, and I mean I've seen a couple other considerably lesser pop culture works um, <laughs> regarding <laughs> the topic, but uh, yeah, so I I figured this as a horror movie. It's on Shutter, mm-hmm. um, so I was expecting Shutter something original. very yeah. you know yeah. Yeah, so I was ex- expecting something with, you know, a lot of jump scares, a lot of gore. I was expecting a very traditional, you know, like horror movie ghost story sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, I was surprised to find that it's it's kind of barely a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. It's uh it's a lot more of a psychological drama and like a political thriller. Uh and so, I guess that's kind of what I what I wanted to talk about, particularly the politics of it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, yeah, like I think I I don't recall, but I think the first one of, if not the first thing that you see is a courtroom scene. Like the first several minutes is pretty much just, you know, like courtroom testimony and stuff, which, uh, you know, one, I wasn't expecting out of a, out of a horror movie about a ghost lady, yeah. but, um, yeah, the fact that it spent so much time, uh, setting up, um, uh, Enrique's character and like, and the family and how, um, him and his actions have overall affected Guatemala, especially to like, um, I know I kind of, I, I made a comment 
in our last episode about uh, La Casa Lobo, about like not wanting to have to do homework you know, <laughs> when I watch movies and stuff, which I will respectfully walk back a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, um, homework. I mean, back, and I baby. didn't look. School's back. Yeah, I didn't look anything up going into this one because I didn't know. I didn't know that there was any, you know, like um, politics involved in in the film. But uh, my best friend uh, is Guatemalan American. His his parents are both from Guatemala, and like, and he was born in L.A. Um, but uh, anyway, it's his story. I don't want to talk too much about it. But I I know that the Guatemalan Civil War is a a very large reason of why his family is is here. Um, and so I knew um, a bit about the conflict, and and I I knew what the Silent Holocaust was. The you know the um, the Mayan genocide. Uh, I didn't know a lot of details of it, but so when it got into that aspect, um, you know, yeah, I, uh, it, it cemented this story in a very real world place and that already to me sets it above anything else. Like it's, um, you know, it's, it, it's not just, uh, you know, like a slasher flick or whatever there, there are real stakes with this movie. Like, cause these are um these are real families real people like you know the uh-huh. the you know like thousands and thousands of, of disappeared um and and their families like this you know this is kind of making a statement on behalf of of them mm-hmm. and uh that personally means a lot to me one because like i said like my you know like someone that i considered my brother is very directly um affected by by this yep. but um you know yeah and so like when it gets into things of like all the, all the photos of the people that, that disappeared and things like that, like that, you know, that, that hits different than just, you know, like teenagers that, you know, like at a high school party getting, you know, absolutely um, getting cut up by like a dude with claw gloves or whatever. So shout out to spaghetti Freddy podcast though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no. And that actually uh, like fees right into my point. My point is about how like there's horror elements, but like you said, it's not really a hundred percent like a, what we all know as like a horror movie like the real horror is just like in the atrocities of like this is real historical stuff that happened you know and i actually think that they use just the perfect amount of horror elements in order for this story because i think that if you went too far it would have been like exploitative it would have been like Mm -hmm. like making it like like making the situation lesser than you know like and just like boiling it down to a slasher because you could easily see like the same movie being made but like instead of you know what we got here it being just like you know there's a slasher and the slasher is the general and the general's going around uh uh like slashing all the the mighty people but like that would i feel like that would just like i I feel like it would lessen the experience of 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 like the actual historical events and i think that that's why i think like they use just the right amount of horror like, but I agree with you. Like, I don't think it's really that much of a horror movie. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I, I keep on telling it in this in this podcast, but I'm really not good with horror movies. Um, right, I am right. very, very scared very easily. And um, this one doesn't really have like any real jump scares. I guess the jump scares would be like you know the gun going off the first time or um, the dude's boner. <laughs> I guess uh, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of like out of nowhere. Um, but like uh, <laughs> there's that explicit e yeah 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 sorry sorry about that uh what's that <laughs> uh so like so yeah like i feel like there's no like traditional jump scares but like i think because of the the story itself if they were to 
mm-hmm. lean too far into it, it would just it would just cheapen it. I think, at least in my opinion. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was my point actually. So Guti, how about you? What, what's your first point for for La Llorona? Well, this is this is kind of like wearing. You know, all three of us, co- you know, coordinating and wearing the t- same T-shirt, same color, same <laughs> everything, because that's actually one of my points as well. Um, I really enjoyed like all the little details that there's in here about the political unrest, um, and it reminded me, you know, if you guys have listened to the Itumama Tambien um, episode, um, which uh, I hope you guys all enjoyed. In that uh, podcast, I kind of talk about my experience that I was once stuck in Nicaragua when the revolution had just begun there uh, recently, and it's still going on to this day. Um, and so all those kind of little details he throws in there, like the chance that Pueblo Unido jamás era vencido, uh, to los desparecidos, like those were all kind of issues that I saw, you know, firsthand, and I really appreciated him being, you know, that, that, to go into that level of detail and really making it feel like it's something that, you know, I've experienced in myself in the past. Um, and even, and I feel like I'm only saying this, but this issue is like not just in, in Guatemala too, you know, like there's plenty of, unfortunately, plenty of Latin American countries that have had issues with this, you know, with dictators who have taken over control, you know, I've killed a lot of people. Like, for example, you know, I, I always speak of Nicaragua cause you know, that's where my family's from. It's, what I'm most familiar with, but like, for example, Los Esparacidos, like that really called home because recently in 2001, there was an election, um, for the new president of Nicaragua and essentially Daniel Ortega, what he was doing is he was basically kidnapping all the people that were running against him. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that, well, the official word from the national Nicaraguan police, which wink, wink, if you don't, cause, cause no one can see me right now, but wink, wink mm-hmm. was that, those candidates had murdered people um, and murdered police officers in the past. But obviously it's a lie for him to kind of get rid of his competition, right? And disperse the people. And it's, again, not just in Nicaragua. Unfortunately, it's something that's also pertinent in a lot of other Latin American countries. I know El Salvador has had issues with this as well. Um, So that, you know, that really... Like for like the same as you guys, it really hit home for me, and it really and I really appreciated that kind of touch to it, and and the fact that the horror kind of bubbles underneath, mm-hmm. and it you know every once in a while you get a little bloop, right, like a little bubble uh, burst, um, but really it's the the stuff that's happening in the film um, that's the true horror. Yeah, I think like a uh, a less subtle director would um, one show flashbacks oh, yeah. of like the graphic violence. And then, like, throughout the course of the movie, sprinkle, like, ghosts of those people with, like, you know, like, like their bodies mangled and stuff like that. Uh, but really, this one, like, like the shot of um, of all the Mayan women in the courtroom, um, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, with their um, with their scarves, uh, that like that's more powerful than, you know, like than using, you know, graphic violence for for cheap effect, you know. Yeah, and I think like the especially how like like it's the it's like the very it's like the second scene. I know the first scene is when like they're doing a prayer circle for um uh basically the 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 side of the general um but mm-hmm. like the very second scene is is that like the court testimony of um of all these Mayan women that like are testifying for their their story and like mm-hmm. the the story that we hear is like super strong 
super like like intense and then it, it mm-hmm. all hits you like 10 times harder when at the very end they say okay that was uh, uh, uh what did they say they say uh eso fue el testigo número 82 like that's the 82nd testimony that they had like this mm-hmm. is not the first yeah. person that is saying this like it's it is absolutely like crushing it is a crushing mm-hmm. crushing movie yeah yeah, and it's not sensationalized either. Too, he just leaves the camera like it's a slow. I love slow what he's pushing. doing, but that's like right. yeah, and she's not like she's not overdoing it with histrionics or anything. She's just sitting there and very matter matter of factly telling her Straight story, up, and you have to facts. focus on what she's yeah. saying. You know, yeah, yeah, and I think she even says like, you know, I'm not embarrassed to be here and telling you this story. Mm-hmm. Like this is my experience. Yeah, Something yeah, she says yeah, like I'm not embarrassed of, yeah. uh, to tell you my story. Like you, please don't be embarrassed to like serve justice you know like it's mm-hmm. yeah, right, 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 yeah. Exactly. it's just like yeah this movie is just incredibly insane in terms of all these um all these stories that are coming up um and uh just as a, a quick lighter note uh i have a question for you both um i mean i grew up uh with the stories of la Llorona, but uh how do you any of you have any stories of like uh like stories that they would tell children like ch- child horror stories so that you could uh, learn your lessons and stuff, um, things like that. Because uh, I'll go first uh, since it, it, I am posing the question. But for me, um, yeah, it was it was La Llorona. Like I, I I actually didn't know that La Llorona was um was like a strictly I I didn't know that it wasn't a strictly Mexican uh, uh, folklore tradition. I know that uh, it makes sense that Guatemala also because like um uh, because they're like right next door and. Um, I'm not sure if La Llorona is all throughout Latin America, but for sure in my background, um, I heard of La Llorona. I remember like one time them telling me, like I think it was the first time they ever told me about La Llorona and I was like so scared because I heard the wind outside and the wind outside just like mm-hmm. sounding like a weeping woman. And I, I, I was so, I was terrified. And then like, like while we live next to a canal and I was thinking like, oh my God, did she drown her kids in the canal that's right next door? <laughs> like I, I was, I was really, really scared. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean that's uh that's me with with uh with a childhood uh, tale. Any anything from y'all? I mean, I don't I don't have a childhood tale. I did because of the fact that I wasn't you know I didn't actually grow up with La Llorona. Obviously, I kind of knew who who she was mm-hmm. and stuff, and it wasn't anything that my parents ever used as scare tactics towards me. Uh, but I asked my mom, and she's like, "Yeah, they definitely used that when mm-hmm. I was in Nicaragua." Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's definitely you know it's kind of adapted itself to to the broader Latin American culture. Um, but she was telling me that I guess in Nicaragua, her t- it's said that her tears uh, fill the Laguna de Pollo, which is like near Masaya, and so she said that as a kid, like her, you know, my her my grandma, her mom would use that story to, to kind of frighten them. And funny enough, one of the things that kind of <laughs> frightens me is that not like as a child, but I think I, I went to Nicaragua when I was like 12 or 13, I believe. And my first night staying at my grandma's house, it, it's literally in the town mm-hmm. center. And so mm-hmm. you can hear people like walking past it, like especially drunks at night, like throwing <laughs> bottles against the wall and stuff like that. And so before I even came to that, my mom had told me like, Oh yeah, you know, you know it's it's haunted here, right? Because I guess my mom's uh, brother used to tell them like, oh yeah, this house is haunted. Mm. They ended up doing kind of like a, a digging expedition at my grandma's house, and it actually used to be a Spanish fort. Mm. 
And so they found like handcuffs, pistols. They found a cannon that's now like in the in the town center mm. of Granada. Mm. So like they they found all types of bad juju in there, right? And I'm sure it's not all, you know, if we know our our Spanish conquistador. <laughs> Uh, history no all sunshine and rainbows and so like as a little kid dude like just that first night that i spent that how now it doesn't affect me because i know you know it's whatever Mm. um but when i was a little kid i was scared shitless (laughs) that something was gonna pop out and scare the crap out of me and obviously at that time too you know me being like blind to like drunk people and how uh rowdy they can get like whenever i would hear those those kind of bottles hit against the wall sometimes because my my room that I was staying in was right next to it. Dude, I was scared shitless that it was something else, man. Yeah. So that was definitely at least that was my horror story growing <laughs> up. At least when I went to Nicaragua. What about you, Ron? Do you have any an experience like that? Like I miss hijos. Anything like that? No, not really. <laughs> like I mean, so since I like I feel like I've always known of La Llorona, but it's not like it's not a tale that anybody in my family ever mm-hmm. told. And I don't really remember like knowing it as a kid. So it probably was like sometime around like, you know, like middle school mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, it kind of like seeped into consciousness. But uh when I was a kid it was it was Bloody Mary. That was the oh, thing that the kids talked yeah, about. That's at, a very popular and, like, US one though. You know, yeah. Yeah, we were always daring each other to like go into the restroom and turn the lights out and say Bloody Mary like however many <laughs> times into the mirror and you know, um, yeah. And I've I've always been like the skeptic. I see. Um, so like you know yeah like my friends and I like when we were younger we would go, um, you know like we would hop the fence at cemeteries and walk around. Right, we would go you know like dude you know, you're to, just asking yeah, to we, be we, haunted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we would go like there's uh in um. Uh, in Orange County, there's a, a place called Brea Canyon Road where uh, it's right along the side the the 57 freeway, and it's like there's a lot of broken down cars, and the um, the local folklore is that if you stop your car there, it won't start again because all the spiritual energy will like drain the battery and stuff. And so we would go there, and like my buddies would be like taking photos, and we just like, oh, look at the orbs. That means they're spirits. Like it's dust, people. <laughs> but um. Uh, and like even uh, I went to the Whaley House in Old Town, Old Town San Diego. Um, if uh, if you're familiar with San Diego, Old Town San Diego is like a little. It's a uh, it's it's an area that's like kind of like preserved like from um, colonial yeah. times. And uh, so there's a house there. It's called the Whaley House. It's allegedly the most haunted place on like the West Coast oh or whatever. Gosh. I'm sure there's 50 most haunted places on the West Coast. <laughs> But um, anyway, I went there and everybody says like, oh, yeah, you feel spirits and stuff like that. I didn't I didn't feel anything. So it was cool. <laughs> I like because I like history. I thought it was cool. But yeah, like nothing, nothing creepy ever happened. Oh, yeah, me, yeah, so. yeah. I wish I was as brave as you, Ron. I, <laughs> I brave or stupid. I, can say, yeah, there's a fine line. <laughs> no, but like I like I am I'm I'm on the opposite end. Like I'll, I'll believe it. I am very, very scared. I, like there were times when me and a couple of my high school buddies, there was like a. Uh, we were at one of my friends, Luis. So shout out, Luis. Uh, but we were at his, we were at his house. We we're just hanging out, and then there's like an abandoned house, like a block away from where he lives. Um, and one night we were just having a sleepover, and he was like, "Oh, let's go check it out." And everyone was like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 let's go, let's go." And I was the only one that was like, mm, "I don't know, <laughs> I'm getting kind of sleepy, guys. I think we should stay." Uh, <laughs> and then we ended up going. I think I hear exactly, my mom calling. Yeah, like I am talking. Perdón, que ya me voy, disculpa. But uh. No, like we ended up going and like, and by we, I mean, they, like they ended up going and I went with them and I <laughs> yeah. just went like, 
Somebody's got to watch exactly, the car, right? Yeah, I was like right outside, right outside <laughs> wow. the gate, and I would be like, like <laughs> it's so silly thinking back now, but like, like they went in there and they're like, they just like went in there with flashlights checking out the, the abandoned house, um, mm-hmm. and I was just outside. And I was like not going. I was like, nah, <laughs> there's no way I'm gonna, I'm not gonna get haunted. Um, and like anytime a car would go by, yeah. like just so it wouldn't look suspicious, I was just standing outside this abandoned home. I would like pretend like I was jogging. <laughs> for like a split second and my friends saw me doing that and they were like oh you're so silly like i know dude like any of that stuff yeah. i am not messing with it ron you are you're, yeah. you're wild bro <laughs> I, I cannot do that yeah dude uh because i'm definitely like left middle like if you tell me like oh let's go in an abandoned house let's go to a graveyard no thank you i know you. ron's right, over dude. here I'll freaking stay at home. I'll hanging watch my out movie. in graveyards <laughs> oh yeah i'll, I'll do it <laughs> oh, yeah we used to in in long beach there used to be a veterans hospital and uh it had been like abandoned for the longest longest time it's a it's a shopping center now with like a movie mm. theater and a walmart and stuff like that but when i was in high school um it had been abandoned for a long time and like my friends and i would go and like bust in and like we dare each other to go to the morgue we play paintball and stuff I like that and eventually we got chased out by the homeless people that were living what there the, but ron yeah. what, who are you dude <laughs> like oh my goodness I, I i i would never i would never do that ron from your <laughs> wild answer so but yeah i'm yeah i'm i'm the guy in the horror movie that gets killed first because i don't believe exactly anything, yeah i'm so, i'm the yeah, final girl yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, i'm not yeah. <laughs> i'm not gonna die i'm very very cautious i um, but Ron, from your wild antics, uh, let's go to your second point for La Llorona. Uh, so my second point, um, I, I couldn't really think, like, I didn't take notes while I was watching it, but the one thing that I kept focusing on the whole time was the character of Carmen. Oh, yes. Uh, Enrique's wife and how awful she is. Yeah. She's horrible. Uh, she hates indigenous oh, yeah. people. Big time. Um, partly because she believes that Enrique's always been attracted to them. Um, when the housekeeping staff leaves because they're afraid, she chastises them for being ungrateful. Uh-huh. Uh, she s- suspects that Valeriana is Enrique's illegitimate daughter. She also says like that they um, were paid. Like, she said like "putas paradas para mentir." Like, uh, yeah, like, yeah. She she refers to them as prostitutes yeah, she, and stuff. And she basically she yeah she basically calls them communists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. She uses that term. Yeah, and she says that everybody that um like that was uh. Um, testifying against Enrique was, you know, like was paid. Um, yeah. But uh, so, but because of that, like, uh, I find it really interesting and actually really like that she's the one that goes through all the visions and stuff, oh, and ultimately yes. is the one that that eventually uh, that eventually kills uh, Enrique. Partly because, like, I mean, it's just like narratively, it's it's really satisfying, mm-hmm. but also uh, to have kind of such an awful character, like. Um, and plus it's, I mean, she's, she's kind of a Karen. Oh yeah. So, uh, (laughs) like the fact that, you know, yeah. Like the fact that, uh, that she's the one, not only that she, you know, she kills her husband and stuff, but, um, like, I mean, the movie stops the credits roll, but if you think beyond the movie, what the ramifications are going to be beyond that, like I was waiting for like, um, there to be a trial for her and stuff like that. It kind of just ends. But um, oh, there's no yeah, way me, she's gonna it, get it in was, trouble. You know, I think like yeah, I, yeah, I know. But still, like yeah, you you got to think that there are some th- like especially psychologically. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, he just fell. So yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't right, know what yeah, those bruises I, yeah, are on his neck. I just <laughs> I have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just I really liked her art. Yeah, and I um going from I know, also liked her like physical transformation, like literally becoming La Llorona. Like right. her eyes are just starting to get yeah. redder and redder and redder. Uh, and like those flashbacks are just, oh, they're, they're just so sad 
to see. Like mm-hmm. it is, it is, it is horrifying. It's horrifying. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, that. But but yeah, I agree with you on that. That arc is just. It's really great. It's really great. Um, Guti, how about you? What's your second point? Yeah. So for me, um, as someone like who grew up near the ocean, like you know, I was lucky enough to grow up near the ocean. I'm a sucker whenever like directors use imagery for like water or, you know, just use it as a, you know, as a symbol or a motif. And we constantly see it throughout here. And I think like the director does an excellent job of using that, especially because first it's kind of a way to like remind the audiences of something's still going, you know, something's wrong mm-hmm. in this house because like, you know, like we said, it's not like a horror, you know, jump scare fest, right? It's more of like underneath the surface and every single time you have things going on, like the faucet just randomly starts running and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It kind of reminds like the viewer, like, uh, is there, you know, there's some sort of magical realism here, right? Yeah. Like there's something that's not supposed to be going on happening. Um, and the other thing is kind of like just, it's a constant reminder of La Llorona herself, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so yeah, the water has always been yes. kind of, <clears throat> right, exactly. Like the water's always been kind of a symbol for her. So, you know, we see the faucet running, which you can kind of see as like, symbolizing her tears right um the flooded bathroom the pool itself that's there mm-hmm. um and then you know like i had mentioned with my mom's experience with like, now, like it said that she created lakes and rivers from her tears right so it was kind of awesome to see that and then i really enjoyed it as kind of like a foreshadowing for what's going to happen later on in the story right so we see that dramatic scene where you know they're drowning her kids right mm-hmm. um in the lake itself so um, I think it was just really, really well done and handled. And like I said, man, I'm a sucker for whenever water is used as as a symbol or some sort of imagery within a film. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the water is everywhere, and like, it's been, oh man, the 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 first time we see, a, I forget her character's name, uh, but Maria Maria Magdalena, her oh, um, her her first scene underwater. Like she's just like dead faced with the water with the hair all around mm-hmm. her, like just covered. It's just I know. It looks like she's already drowned. Like it's it's crazy. What's what's funny about that is like water is always kind of symbolized as like healing, right? right but yeah. here it's kind of like Give it's kind of pain like it's painful, like it's you know, it's symbolizing pain and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just it's just awesome how he kind of it's kind of like one of the subversions he does, right? Like you expect it to be this sort of like healing um thing, but it but it really isn't in the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, going to my second point, though, shifting gears. Uh, how about the camera use in this movie? Like the mm-hmm. in like really long takes, very slow zooms, like in and out. Like it's just I don't know. Like something about it just feels so controlled. Like Kaido like knows exactly exactly what he wants, and um, it just it just shows through incredibly well. I think. Um, like just yeah the overall cinematography here is so so incredible um i really like it when it slow zooms from like a really large crowd slowly slowly zooming into like the one person Mm -hmm. that's not doing anything just staring straight at the camera like it is it it's it's really creepy it's really really well really well executed um uh so yeah that that's my point for for um for the cinematography here and like just the overall filmmaking techniques because like on top of the story being amazing like it's not it's not poorly shot you know like everything here is also incredibly well made um so i just wanted to shout out Jairo Bustamante like what a director i think this is incredible yeah. stuff 
and Nicholas Wong, the cinematographer yes. too. Yeah. Like the, yeah, the, um, it's really, uh, like the look of it is very bleak. Very. Like it's very like, you know, the, the, the tones are very muted mm-hmm. and stuff. It's very like, very shadowy, very, um, you know, like a, a lot of grays and, and stuff like that. And it kind of like, it almost like gives you the, the kind of effect that like it's, it's underwater, you know, mm-hmm. like it kind of reminded me of like, um, like if, you know, like Lord of the Rings fans, if, uh, there's, uh, that section of like all the, the corpses under the water, like, and they're all kind of like great, oh, yeah. like that's, that's kind of the vibe that I was getting really, really through the whole movie. I, I think it's incredible in terms of like a filmmaking standpoint in general. It's just amazing. Um, so Ron, let's get back to you for your final thoughts and your rating. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I did want to mention, um, and I, I don't know, uh, a ton about Guatemalan history. Um, but I do know, like I've taken several like Mexican history classes Mm. and things. And one of the things that I, I learned there and I was surprised to learn was that uh, about 5% of Mexican citizens don't even speak Spanish. They speak Nahuatl or other, um, my languages. Uh, so, and I mean, 5% doesn't seem like a lot, but Mexico's got a population of about 126 million people. So that's about 6 million people that don't speak Spanish Mm -hmm. at all. Um, and so keeping that in mind, the fact that uh, a lot of the dialogue in this is indigenous Mayan language, I I really enjoyed. Like, And I, I like it when um, when filmmakers uh, do uh, sprinkle things like that. You know, Coron did it in Roma mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, recognizing that there's more than just, you know, um, than, than Spanish and, you know, the remnants of, of uh, colonialism. Well, if you um, really like that, you should check out his other movie, Iskanul. It's... Uh... That's actually mine for Volcano. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's all over that movie, so check it out. <laughs> check out each canon. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, also, uh, Maria Mercedes Coroy, uh, who plays Alma. Oh, uh, yeah. I, you know, we, we talked about her a little bit a, a few minutes ago, but I, I really dug the way that she played the character because, again, I think um, a different director would uh, have that character be very over the top. Um, where she's the complete opposite. She plays it way subdued, and honestly, like she plays it like she's dead. Like she's basically a corpse through the whole Straight movie. Straight up dead. Yeah, uh, and her, like her like, eyes are so piercing. When, yeah, like, they're just like yeah, totally wide open, staring at. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. like she has very it's little like facial expression. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought, um, in a lot of times performances like that tend to get overlooked, uh, because they're not flashy. But um, I, I, I would argue that they're sometimes even more impressive because you know like you're acting against somebody but you know you have to be very very subdued so yeah i I did want to point that out um but otherwise as far as like final rating uh i i really again i didn't know what to expect i i thought i was getting a very traditional like horror (laughs) movie ghost story kind of thing uh so one like i you know like i think it took about half an hour before anything like even even mildly supernatural happened, but I was already like all in on the movie because of the background of it. And because uh, also too, like the characters, uh, the characters are really strong, but like with, um, with very little, like he gives you just enough information about each of them through dialogue and through just like how their you know, their actions and stuff that, you know, you know, who each of these characters are uh, without having to get like a ton of backstory on each of them, you know? Uh, without a ton of exposition so uh keeping those those things in mind and just um again how how important this is 
uh, in the history of Guatemala and, you know, like the Civil War and the Silent Holocaust and everything. Um, I will admit that it was a little on the slow side. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, you know, it subverted my uh, expectations so much. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it four stars. Four stars from Ron. Wow, 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 wow. Ron. Uh, how about you, Guti? Final thoughts and rating for this movie? Oh, man. Okay. So, I, I think one, one thing I did want to mention, too, that I want to give props uh, towards, too, is kind of like the subversion that he does of La Llorona story. So, something I didn't mention um, in the historical context is at least one version of a story from Mexico, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, um, Ismael, uh, the Nahua woman, um, it's tied to like the Nahua woman, mm-hmm. uh, a Nahua woman named La Malinche. Oh, yeah. Uh, Malinche. Yeah. Who I guess was, uh, I guess she was a real life mistress uh, yeah, she's, and translator of Spanish conquistador. She's a huge, huge, huge symbol. And um, uh, it, it's, it's now become a political symbol being Malinchista, yeah. but uh, anyways, go on, sorry. There's even a national park named after. There's like Malinche Park or something like that. And I forget what state, but um, yeah, somewhere on the East Coast. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so anyways, basically she's been painted um, kind of from what I was able to, to read up on. It's kind of like the Mexican Eve. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so essentially like, you know, they're, it's basically, basically they're, the story kind of damns indigenous women, right, for helping conquistadores, colonizers come, in, yeah, she's, come into the she, country and take she's over, been right? Seen as, like, so, some people see her as like a, a straight-up traitor. You know, if you think about it, the story can kind of be a little degrading towards women. It's like this woman, out of jealousy or grief, is drowning these children, right? And it's kind of like, you know, what, like in some versions of the story it's the guy's infidelity uh, as to why she does it but it kind of comes off like she's you know she's a terrible mother she's taking it out on her children instead of the guy so i like the fact here where instead enrique is kind of responsible for his infidelity um and the drowning of alma's children and then alma kind of like she comes back and basically gets her revenge on him by using carmen through the visions and flashbacks Mm -hmm to kind of set her off on Enrique and to finally deal with those consequences. So I like the fact that it kind of subverted the story and certain traits that it has Mm -hmm. in that regard. Um, But finally, I just really wanted to say, like, I guess people sometimes will, you know, there's horror genre to be horror genre, right? Like your slashers, and I love them all, right? Um, But something I also wanted to bring up too is like the horror genre has always been used for social and political Mm -hmm. commentary. So Mm -hmm. like if you think about back in the day for for your film geeks, like Nosferatu kind of talks about, you know, coming to to the past with World War One. And then you have the candy man of, you know, back then and present talking about like America's ugly racist history and contemporary urban blight and crime. Night of Living Um, Dead. Exactly. And and most notably also, you know, Jordan Peele's films, right? They're, I mean, pick your poison. Each one has some sort of social co- or political context to them, right? What Bustamante does here uh, and is able to accomplish with this many layers of storytelling and how he subverts the folktale uh, to bring light to this to the story is just ridiculous in my opinion. And I'm so glad um, that the movie was selected to be in the Criterion Collection because I think it fits in perfectly. And I mean, I honestly can't wait to dive into the supplements to kind of because and I'm hoping you know they kind of do 
some background into the history, kind of like we've done here, because mm. um, mm. I would love to learn more about it, um, and especially to get Bustamante's thoughts and uh, ultimately, hopefully, you know, enough people buy the cartoon release. Please go buy the cartoon mm-hmm. release. <laughs> uh, so we get more Latin American films, including the collection, because like I tell people, um, it's all it's, you're always voting with your dollar, right? So whatever you purchase, that's what they're going to use to bring more films. And I think more films like this need to be in the collection. And again, Bustamante should be on more people's radars. I don't know why he wasn't on my radar, but he should definitely be on other people's radars. Maybe even to the level of you know, kind of what Peel's doing uh, oh, these yeah. days. Uh, he should oh, be right. he should be definitely regarded in that regard. And I think the Criteria Collection hopefully will give him more coverage. Um, you know, here into the U S but at the end of the day, I think what I really enjoyed about this one is it deals with the generational trauma of the heel Mayan people and the Mayan and heel people, I should say. And, uh, the way it, it, it uses the social and political context through the ruse or through the story of La Llorona, uh, it's just amazingly executed here. So I have to go with five stars. Five stars. Nice. Yeah, boy. Yes, 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 yes. I, Wait, I thank you for your bravery, Guti. That's a uh, uh, very, very, very kind words <laughs> from you. Um, I'd like to echo what Guti said. Uh, by the Criterion, um, I know that yeah, like if we tell Criterion we want more Latin movies, you gotta show them that you want more Latin movies. So I highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, I know that I'm gonna get it specifically for special features. Uh, um, I actually got to see this movie. Um, like for a screening from USC uh, back when I was a master's student over there for not for film, but for, for computer science. But um, I would just crash the, the movie screenings. But like I asked him a question um, as well and he answered it. And I felt like such a, such a real reporter, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, wait, so you, wait, so you've actually met him? Yeah. Jairo Bustamante. Yeah. It was, uh, it was during, uh, it was through zoom. So um, the, the audio and vis- like visual quality were not really great for La Llorona. Um, but, uh, I did get to ask him a question and he answered it and I was like, oh my gosh, I, can- I couldn't believe it. Um, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. So uh, if I'm part of the special features, you know, I expect some royalty checks, uh, to come in. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, just kidding. But like, it's, uh, but basically the question that I asked him was basically like, how, how does he structure his movies? like in terms of a storytelling standpoint, like when he starts writing them, because uh, my final point for this movie uh, and my final point back when I saw it for the first time and I wanted to ask him is like how, like, like it all seems so clear to use the legend, que, que es la Llorona, as like an allegory for this genocide or in, like or any like, Native indigenous genocide that happened uh in anywhere in latin america like it it's staring at you right in the face and like he saw it and he just picked it up and then he he went with it and my question to him was basically like um how does he start off like telling the story did he want to start off telling a story about la llorona and then realizing that like that could be implemented in it or um did he want to tell the story about like the mind genocide and just so happened to see that connection with uh, La Llorona to, to basically like, you know, tie it in and then make it more accessible for people to watch. Um, and his answer was that like, uh, he started off with the genocide, of course, and he wanted to, because I said it like at the very beginning, um, this is part of his trilogy of like sins. 
Um, I think it's called the Trilogy of Sins. Don't quote me on that, but <laughs> uh, that's the, that, from what I remember. That's that's what he called it. Um, and he wanted to show that, like, if you're indigenous in Guatemala, it's like you are put in a huge, huge major uh, disadvantage because of uh, the discrimination against you, and like the whole history behind um, being indigenous in Guatemala versus uh, uh, interacting with the colonizers. So it's like, I mean, I just I think it's it's so incredibly obvious to do it, but no one did it. Like, no one had done it until he did it. And I would have thought that some Mexican director would have done it already. Guillermo del Toro could have done it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But he didn't do it. And Jairo Bustamante did. And I think it's incredible. I think it's amazing. I am going with a full five stars. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, baby. I really Feels love so it. Good, huh? I love it so much. I really, really like this movie. Uh, when Ron said... He picked this. I was over the moon. <laughs> I, I because I really it's like a movie. I really love it, and I really want other people to see it because it's also like, like at the end of the day, you're also coming out with this knowledge of, like this is real stuff, you know. Like, and that's what I think is the most horrific part of this all. And you know, I know like it's like like being cursed to say something like like really really cheesy, but like it's true. Like this is horrific horrific details, and um. He makes it very accessible. Uh, it, it he does show the supernatural with like all the ghosts being there at the very end. I think it's, um, I think it's just incredibly well told. It's very, very, very well made um, from a filmmaking standpoint. So yeah, I'm at a full five stars. I really love it. Um, so yeah, Ron, you're the odd one out. I'm really sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're gonna, I mean, you're gonna be condemned. Yeah. I mean, you're not all... getting the free Criterion. You know that that Kaido's gonna send over. Yeah, us. right. <laughs> oh <laughs> my gosh. Uh, but no, the, the the other thing I wanted to add, what you said was, which was I totally agree. Uh, is it's like he's also asking us to kind of reflect on that generational trauma that mm-hmm. these people have suffered. You know, and that's uh, like you said. I mean, that's the biggest part of this. So yeah, man, just incredible movie. I mean, I love it. Yeah, this is this is great. A great, great movie. Um, so with that, that concludes our uh, opinions on La Llorona 2019. Not The Curse of La Llorona, just La Llorona <laughs> 2019. Make sure to watch the right movie. Um, but enough of our opinions. Let's hear about some opinions from some of our letterbox friends. Um, so uh, Grant, Grant for another show uh, from the VHS Village, uh, he raced it four stars and he says... Uh, dang, not what I was expecting, but still so good. Dramatic with some tense and deeply unsettling moments, plus some pretty incredible visuals. Grant, I agree. Those visuals are outstanding. Um, specifically the zoom ins and zooms out. Like, I think he does it like seven times, eight times. He does it a lot of times in this movie, and I, 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 I was a sucker for it. I really loved it. Um, so yeah, four stars from Grant. Thank you, Grant. Uh, another review coming in from Emily, also part of the VHS Village. Thank you, Emily. Uh, she rates it three stars. And she says, if ever there was a movie that nails the atmosphere, it's this one. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot longer than the review, so I can't uh, go through the whole thing. But um, I totally agree as well. Like The atmosphere here is incredible. I think um, it's pretty, like the... I was talking about this in La Casa Lobo too. I, I'm starting to get a, I'm being a sucker for sound design and sound mixing because mm-hmm. like yeah. I loved it the way that it was made mm-hmm. here. Like all the screams and then that final like mis hijos, but like in the Caxiquel language, like it's uh, it's just 
heartbreaking. Yeah. Like I, I the think sounds of the water yeah. dripping. And yes. the, the whispers yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah the whispers are yeah. Even even the other thing I I forgot to mention too is like, the, for you guys the protests seem to get louder as yeah. the movie went yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I love how the yeah, protests uh, never stopped. Like all night, yeah, all it was day, constant. Yeah. you can always hear it. Yeah, it's always there because that's like the story. Like this story is always there. Like you cannot ignore this. This is incredibly important. Uh, Guys, how do we turn the Yorona on on the rest of the dictators of the world? Right, right, right. <laughs> that is uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Emily, for that review. Uh, another review from Art, uh, another friend of the show from the Beach of the Village. Uh, four and a half stars from art art you're missing that half star come on buddy um but uh he says placing this among my favorite first time watches of the last year or so and it's a shutter original what is happening uh i agree art this is uh this is an incredible horror movie i think it's one of my favorite horror movies again it's not like traditionally horror but it is i think very good uh, Art continues on saying that some Kelly Reichardt style flexes from this director, I totally Ooh. see the parallels. Uh, Kelly Reichardt, she's a, a, an American director. Um, I think she made First Cow uh, like last year or two years ago. But yeah, thank you, Art, for that four and a half star review. Um, so with that... Um, I think I think this is uh, yeah I I'm I, again I think this is a great movie uh, I think Maria Mercedes Coro she's like an incredible actress she's not been in many movies uh, she's in this one she's also the star of Iskandar Jairo uh, Bustamante's uh, first movie um, which is the sin of uh, being a woman if you see it in the trilogy very great movie I highly suggest I think it's on Canopy that you can watch it um, that's how I watched it free uh, so you can check that out um, but She's also going to be the star, uh, one of the stars, of the upcoming Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I mean, shout out. So, shout out, Maria Mercedes. Uh, so, I would like to say and announce that uh, we here at Real Latinos are committed to covering Black Panther Wakanda Forever when it comes out. Um, we're very, very excited for it. Uh, obviously not just because of uh, Maria Mercedes, uh, but also because of the Noche Huerta, uh, very very famous yeah. uh, Mexican actor, um, and we're just really excited to see what Ryan Coogler's got for us. Uh, there was like a lot of Aztec imagery in the teaser trailer. Um, I haven't seen the trailer trailer. I don't know if it's out yet or not actually, but I try to stay just with the teaser. But um, within the teaser, the Noche looks great. Maria looks great. Um, so I'm very, very excited. So I highly suggest everyone get on the Black Panther train. I know everyone's already going to be on it, but we'll be on it. And we will be covering Black Panther Wakanda for everyone that comes out. So watch out for that episode in the future. November 17th. November 17th. The movie uh, comes out November 11th. So the epi- our episode will come out November 17th. There it is. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Uh, so watch out for that episode. It's going to be very exciting. Um... And who knows? Maybe we'll have a guest on. Who knows? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Maybe, maybe we'll have a guest. Who knows? <laughs> uh, so watch out for that. Um, so thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of Real Latinos covering La Llorona. That's La Llorona, not The Curse of La Llorona. I know I have to keep on saying it, but it's just I really hope you don't watch the wrong movie. <laughs> um, uh, so thank you so much, everyone. Uh, make sure to leave us uh 
Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Rate us five stars and uh, subscribe to the to the podcast so you can hear us uh, talk about our 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 reactions to these Latin American movies and hit us up on our email at reallatinos at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-L-A-T-I-N-O-S at gmail.com. Um, or at either of our Twitter or Instagram, uh, which are both at reallatinos. Um, so so ron how about some latino approved recommendations for this uh yeah i just wanted to mention uh gabby moreno who she actually does the song that goes over the credits for this movie uh la llorona Todos lloraban, tu tierra, llorona, tu tierra um, she uh, is a Guatemalan um, uh, singer-songwriter. Uh, she has a bunch of her own albums. She's uh, collaborated with a bunch of artists like Jackson Brown, Ry Cooter, who we talked about in the Buena Vista Social Club episode, Van Dyke Parks. She covered uh, Charlie Chaplin's Smile for the uh, documentary oh, The Cove man. a few years back. Um, and then uh, also she uh, co-wrote the opening theme music for Parks and Recreation which I'm a big fan of what? yeah Yeah. so she's uh, got a ton of albums of her own out including a new one called Allegoria Uh, so um, if you're into folk, jazz, uh, R&B, soul that's kind of her jam so I recommend checking her out great thank you so much for that Ron I'll be sure to check that out on Spotify or wherever you listen to your music and with that, that concludes uh, La Irona. So, uh, just just got on the plane. We're about to leave Guatemala, see where we're going. Uh, and now Guti's Guti's got the he's got he's in charge of the plane. He's in charge of the train. He's in charge of the. I'm flying. The I'm the captain. He is the captain now. So Guti, I'm here. Please tell us. Okay. What is okay. the next movie? So so far, we've covered movies from. Mexico, yeah. Cuba, yeah. Chile, yeah. and Guatemala. Yeah. Yeah. But we've also only covered films that have been shot in color. Oh. For anyone who knows me, I love me a good black and white film. I was wondering how long More specifically, take. classic films. Here we go. For this pick, go. I want us to travel down back south <gasps> to a country that not only produced one of the greatest, if not the greatest, football player in the world... Oh. Uh, that translates to soccer to my American <laughs> friends listening to this podcast. But also produces some great films and filmmakers. I'm assuming we're going in Argentina. Argentina. Oh, Leo Messi. Argentina. Shout out Messi, Argentina. friend of the show. Let's go. <laughs> um, so, uh, so for this pick, until 2014, when this film turned up in a private collection, uh, actually of the produ- uh, out of one of the producers of the film, uh, it was it was considered to be lost, Ooh. and it was found by Argentinian cinephile uh, Fernando Martín Peña. And thanks to Peña, in conjunction with his longtime friend Eddie Muller, who, if you guys watch TCM, he's known as kind of like the czar of noir, runs Noir mm-hmm. Alley, um, and also in working with the UCLA Film and Television Archive um, and funding from his Film Noir Foundation. And the Hollywood Foreign Press is associated. A lot of people basically were in this, but 
Hollywood Foreign Press's Association's Charitable Trust. Um, the 35 millimeter print was restored and premiered in Eddie Muller's annual Noir City Film Festival in 2016, then later at MoMA in New York, and later at the TCM Classic Film Festival, which I'm still looking for a sponsorship if anyone <laughs> wants to sponsor my trip for next year. The suspense is this killing film me. Was, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the film has also uh, been selected by the American Cinematographer Magazine as one of the best, the 50 best photograph films of all time. Yo! For next week, I want us to watch the 1956 Argentine film noir directed by Fernando Ayala, Los Tallos Amargos, or The Bitter Stems. Nice. So to give you a quick little synopsis here, uh, the film stars Carlos Cortes, who is a pretty prominent Latin American uh, actor who actually went on to be a director afterwards. He stars as a journalist with an inferiority complex who partners with a Hungarian immigrant in a fraudulent get-rich-quick scheme that leads to crime and tragedy. So I think this movie is available on Mubi from what I saw when I Googled it earlier today. Uh, but I also, you know, thanks to our friends over at YouTube, found a link <gasps> with the full restoration Yo! and subtitles. So if you're listening to this and want to join along, which I think you should definitely join along because uh, I've heard great things about this film, just DM me and I'll send you the link. Yeah. Uh, you don't oh you know don't sue me because you know it's not my YouTube channel. <laughs> hey, we but didn't upload it. Anyways, we just found it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks to our hero who uploaded it because uh, I think this film should be watched. I've never seen it, but everything that I've heard, the reviews are pretty. They're pretty good for it. So uh, I'm excited to go on this journey with you guys, and uh, let's get our first black and white plastic nice. film in I here. I mean, if it was gonna be anybody, it had to be good thing. It had to be a good thing. Uh, I'm so so excited for this. I've never heard of this movie. Never seen it. Uh, yeah, 1956. UCLA helped restore it. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Buenos Aires, Argentina. Failed reporter teams up with a Hungarian immigrant to set up a fake correspondence journalism school. Wow. That's the letterbox uh, synopsis. I'm very excited. Guti, what a pick. Um, um so thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, make sure to like the podcast, share, and subscribe with everyone that you know. Um, y hasta la próxima. We're going to watch Los Tallos Amargos. Adios. Real Latinos is a podcast written, produced, and hosted by Christian Gutierrez, Ron Jimenez, and Ismael Villarreal. Mixed and edited by Ron Jimenez. Artwork provided by Lisbeth Jimenez, Ron Jimenez, and it's Malvillas Molina. Original music provided by Toro Nomato. Muchas gracias y hasta la próxima. Uh, shout out, Maria Magdalena. Like, this is amazing. Uh, this is... Oh, fuck. Sorry. Cut that out. I call her Maria Magdalena. It's Maria Mercedes. How <laughs> <laughs> uh, Catholic are I you? I know, bro? right? Uh... Hey guys! Hola amigos! It is Jaysher here and Micah from Podzilla. Uh, we are huge fans of Real Latinos. Uh, we love all the guys here on the show. Just an amazing podcast. And if you might be looking for other cool podcasts to listen to, you could consider us. Yeah, we I do. think we do some good work. <laughs> we do a little show called Podzilla where we 
watch every single Godzilla movie and then talk about it. And there's a lot of them. We've worked our way through a good portion so far, finished up our first season and heading into season two. Yeah, so we'd love it if you guys wanted to check us out. But other than that, back to the show. <laughs> I've got my popcorn ready.